Hey guys, Lachlan here. Just a really quick message before we get into the show. We're currently running a survey to learn more about our audience. We want to know who you guys are. We want to know what you like. And we want to use that information to make Brad is Bad Person a better podcast. It only takes a couple of minutes to fill out and it would be a really big help to us. So please go to bradisabadperson.com slash survey or click the link in the description of this episode and have your say. Now I'll get out of the way. Please enjoy the show. So this week, I discovered a line, a line that I don't want to cross anytime soon again. My aging body cannot handle dairy anymore. I had oh, a no. large bowl of carbonara and some mousse and cool. shit six times over the next six hours. Oh, no. And my asshole was red raw. It was a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to get some of those like lactose intolerance pills. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> I love carbonara so much. Oh, carbonara <laughs> is fantastic. Uh, dairy is one of the best food groups. I don't yeah, know how it, you could it is go the, without the it. best food group, hands down. Yeah. Like cheese, ice cream. Yeah. You milk. poor bastard. Yeah. Cheesy ice cream. <laughs> Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast, Brad is a Bad Person. My name is Morgan. I am the host of this podcast and I'm joined as always by Lachlan. Hello. And by Brad. Hello. Today we're talking about unethical experiments. Has science gone too far? The rhetorical yes. question is often asking us to consider the effects of new technology, <laughs> so it's referring to the ends. But science has often gone too far in terms of the means. The scientific mm-hmm. method is cold and amoral. It doesn't care about you and your feelings and your pride. It cares about data and facts. So sometimes, in pursuit of truth, people have carried out indisputably immoral experiments. But did these people contribute enough to science and a truer understanding of the world that their immorality can be overlooked? Well, we're not going to talk about that, but we will tell you about a few crazy (laughs) experiments that were so outrageous that they offended the sensibilities of everybody, even the most callous of people, even Brad. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh So how are we today, guys? Ready Uh to talk about some fucked up shit? (laughs) You boys are about to be offended, let's just put it that way. always ready to talk about some fucked up shit. (laughs) Uh, I'm looking forward to mine. I think everyone else is going to be suitably disgusted. Oh, I look forward to that. Now, Brad, when I was at university, I took a few psychology subjects. Mm. And as part of those subjects, yeah, (laughs) as part of those subjects, they actually made me participate in psychology experiments. Like, mm. in order to get a pass, they made us go and be patsies for some bozos experiment. Did you ever have to do anything mm. like that, Brad? Yeah, a lot of times. Mostly, um, it was generally, like, filling out surveys, you know. nothing. There was nothing crazy. I never had, like, electrodes hooked up to me or anything like that. There was no brain wave patterns being observed. It was just surveys and what, what would you mm, do that you know of, Brad. And then, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny because like in intro to psychology at uni, they teach you about all these crazy unethical experiments and why we have ethics boards and stuff like that. And how, you know, there's these big experiments that people are never going to do like these again. So we have to study them because like Mm. they're they're never going to be replicated. And then they're like, oh, also just go into this like dark room on the 14th floor of this building and uh, just do whatever this guy says. And you're like, am I being, what am I being set up to do here? 
Yeah. It's crazy stuff. I didn't realize um, that I had to be, like, you know, sedated and anesthetized to fill out a survey, <laughs> but, you know, apparently you do. So. <laughs> Woke up feeling sore with stitches. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get started today, I want to remind everyone to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you leave us an us review on iTunes, we'll give you a shout out during the show to say thank you. If you want to get in contact with us and suggest an episode idea or just say hi, please do. We always love interacting with our fans. You can do that on any of our social medias or through our website, bradisbadperson.com. If you really, really like us, you can buy us a beer, paypal.me slash bradisbadperson. But otherwise, the best thing you can do is tell a friend to listen. And, uh, you know, in keeping with today's theme, you should trick them into listening. Tell them it's an experiment. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to get this party started by cracking open a cold one with the boys? It's time to crack open a cold one with the boys. Got something new again this week that I had never seen before. Is it an unethical Uh, beer? That's what I want to know. I mean, maybe. I don't know how they make it, but... uh... (laughs) That's, it's that's a, all I want to know that it was made with the tears of orphans or something like that. Pirate Life Port Local Lager. Uh, now, Pirate Life, like James Squire, normally stick to ales, uh, IPAs in particular, but they've done a lager. Um, I guess lagers are coming back into popularity, which I'm here for. Uh, it's local to Port Adelaide. It is 1.3 standard drinks. Keep cold, drink fresh, it says on the can. Mm-hmm. And yeah. shit, this one is pretty fresh. It was packed a couple of months ago. <laughs> quite fresh for a, quite nice. fresh for a can beer. Uh, so I'm going to give it a go. Well, it's good. It's good? Mm. I've had that one before, and I, I don't think it tastes like a lager. I think even though it is a lager, it tastes more like a pale ale. Yeah, I'd pay that. Maybe I'm wrong. So, no, I'd pay that. Closet pale ale fan. There no, now that I've had, now that I've, the aftertaste has hit me, it's um quite hoppy in the back, <laughs> which I'm not a huge fan of. Paley? <laughs> oh, mm. shit. It looks cool, though, and anything with pirates in the name is going to win your favour, Lachlan. That's right. Now, just before ninjas? we get started, I'm going to jump in, jump in front of you here, Morgs. No, it's definitely pirates. Um, Debatable. Mm. We're talking about psychological experiments here. Brad uh-huh. does have two thirds of a psychology degree, so he's going to be our expert in this episode. <laughs> Fuck you! I, I knew as soon as you mentioned psychological experiments, I just knew I've got a minor in psychology, so I'm going to be like the junior expert. Our audience just need to be informed, Brad, about your experience or lack thereof. He knows his stuff. He likes talking about no, his weird stuff. No, no. I, I, I enjoy reading about it. I I dropped out because I had to do research psychology, and I Stats. it does not interest me. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I am no expert. This kind of writing papers bullshit, just, yeah, it was yeah, too doing much. Yeah, doing the actual science so. really the worst. All right, well... Lachlan is going to get us started tonight. So, Lachlan, do you want to um, tell us about a famous unethical experiment? The Stanford Prison Experiment 
is one of the most infamous psychological experiments of all time. Open any introductory psychology textbook, and I guarantee there's a chapter on it. There's good reason for this. The experiment itself was groundbreaking at the time, but it's also a perfect example of all the things you shouldn't do when conducting psychological experiments. In August of 1971, A group of researchers at Stanford University, led by psychology professor Philip Zimbardo, set out to study the psychological effects of being inside a prison, both as a prisoner and as a guard. Zimbardo's hypothesis was that situational forces are just as, if not more, powerful than dispositional forces in influencing behavior. That is, people will fall into an assumed role when placed in a situation where that role is expected of them. To prove this hypothesis, Zimbardo and his team constructed a mock prison in the basement of the psychology building at Stanford University. They selected 24 male participants and split them into two groups, 12 guards and 12 prisoners. Guards were given a uniform to present an image of solidarity, a wooden nightstick to show authority, and a pair of mirrored sunglasses to prevent eye contact. (laughs) Yeah, they were. The Palo Alto Police Department went to the prisoners' homes and arrested them, putting them through the full booking process before dropping them off at the fake prison. The prisoners were then stripped naked and de-loused and given nothing but a loose-fitting dress and a stocking cap to wear. It's reported that real prisoners feel emasculated while in prison, so Zimbardo wanted to speed this feeling along. (laughs) No aviators either. Yeah, That's right. No cool sunglasses. Have to look everyone in the eye. (laughs) It's a real beta move. Each prisoner was also assigned a number to replace their name, an effort to further dehumanize and de-individualize them. Once all the prisoners were in their cells, the guards were given the instruction, keep the prison running smoothly. They were told not to physically harm the prisoners or withhold food or water, but Zimbardo told them, quote, You can create in the prisoners feelings of boredom, a sense of fear to some degree. You can create a notion of arbitrariness that their life is totally controlled by us, by the system, you, me, and they'll have no privacy. We're going to take away their individuality in various ways. In general, what all this leads to is a sense of powerlessness. That is, in this situation, we'll have all the power and they'll have none. The first day was relatively uneventful. Everyone just kind of hung out. On the second day, however, some of the prisoners decided that the guards had it too easy and they needed to work for their money. Both the prisoners and the guards were being paid $15 a day for their participation, which is about 100 bucks adjusted for inflation. Yeah, not bad. Hmm. The, pr- the prisoners used their beds to barricade the door of their cell. The guards, in retaliation, blasted them with a fire extinguisher until they came out. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Get wrecked. From there, it escalated. escalated. (laughs) It only gets worse. (laughs) The guards set up a privileged cell for the prisoners who behaved themselves. They got better food and more time outside their cell. They started putting unruly prisoners into solitary confinement, which in the basement of the school was just a cupboard. (laughs) And before the end of the second day, we're starting to use physical violence to maintain order. One of the prisoners, 8612, suffered a mental breakdown and had to be released. After only two days? Not even two days. It was like 35 hours. What a pussy. (laughs) 
<laughs> Physical, mental, and sanitary conditions continued to get worse until Zimbardo, horrified at what was happening in this mock prison, ended the 14-day experiment after only six days. <laughs> Whoa. So Zimbardo and his team had proved their hypothesis. The participants had all been screened to exclude anyone with criminal backgrounds, violent tendencies, psychological and medical issues, and low moral development. The guards, normal, average people, had devolved into cruel, sadistic behavior without any outside prompting simply because they were in a position of authority, and the prisoners were all eventually submissive to their captors because they had been placed in such a dehumanizing situation. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, and those forced into helplessness are doomed to stay there. Well, that's what Zimbardo and his team want you to think anyway. It's certainly how the experiment is framed in textbooks today. (laughs) I remember being taught about this in year 11, and that was the moral of the story. But is that the whole truth? There's a lot of issues with the Stanford prison experiment. Chief among them is that there was no control group. There's the fact that the sample size was Mm -hmm. so small. Also, all participants were white, middle-class, college-aged males. Oh, and let's not forget that Zimbardo and one other member of the research group placed themselves into the experiment as superintendent and warden, respectively. Remember Mm. how I said earlier that the guards were given the instruction to control the prisoners but not hurt them? Well, that's what Zimbardo said during the recorded parts of the experiment. Off-camera... Both Zimbardo and the warden told guards that they needed to be tougher on the prisoners, coached them to take the prisoners' mattresses and force them to use a bucket as a toilet. They told the guards to act like stereotypical prison guards and even had an ex-con who had served 17 years in San Quentin consult on typical punishments prisoners would receive in the joint. (laughs) (laughs) David Eshelman... The toughest of the guards has done interviews in the years since, and he claims that he was just putting on the performance he thought Zimbardo wanted to see. He spent the duration of the experiment Mm. trying to imitate the prison captain from Cool Hand Luke, right down to the accent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. It's also worth noting that Zimbardo didn't call off the experiment because he was mortified by it called off the experiment because a psychology grad student who he was sleeping with saw what was happening and told him that he had to shut it down. <laughs> and uh, uh, what a great dude. Prisoner 8612's mental breakdown wasn't real. He just faked it because he wanted to get out of it. Uh, so mm. not a pussy. Clever. No, well, I mean, kind of. In a different way. <laughs> now... It's pretty clear that Zimbardo had a result he was trying to prove and pushed the experiment toward that end. But Mm -hmm. why would he do that? What would cause a respected psychologist to breach the integrity of his own experiment? I'm not going to speculate on that, but on a completely unrelated note, did you know the whole thing was funded by the US Navy? (laughs) That's not something they put in the textbooks. I wonder why the US military would have an interest in absolving prison guards of any personal culpability for inhumane atrocities they might commit. Oh, another completely unrelated factoid. Philip Zimbardo served as part of the legal defense team for some of the prison guards at Abu Ghraib. (laughs) Oh, really? That that obviously happened a lot later than the Stanford prison experiment, right? Yeah, but they used the results of the Stanford prison experiment as... 
part of the defense to say that. So it's like these- a preemptive thing. No, not a not a not a preemptive thing. Like it was completely out of the Abu Ghraib guards' control. They were just in this situation that made them do evil things, and the prisons, uh, Stanford Prison Experiment, proved that when you're in a situation like that, you have no um, personal responsibility for the things that you do. Yeah, no culpability. Um, mm. And now you know why I think research psychology is bullshit. Yes. <laughs> well. It seems to me that the guy that's running it was more like a Zibata. producer on The Bachelor than a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, he's getting in people's ears and he's like, you know, this would make good TV. Better do this, bro. Like, yeah, that's that's yeah. that's not how you do science. Yeah, did you hear that 8751 was talking mad shit about you? <laughs> <laughs> She's stuck your main. fucking skill. There's a... <laughs> There's a movie that came out in 2015 called The Stanford Prison Experiment, and it's based mm. on the Stanford What's it Prison about? Experiment. Uh, it's <laughs> about the Stanford Prison Experiment. It takes some creative license, but most of the key facts are there. Mm-hmm. Um, Does now, it cover to the whole fair, funding and everything? Or? I missed the last 20 minutes of it, so I'm not sure. But <laughs> up until that point... Um, it seems to me like they're painting the guards as the bad guys oh. and not Zimbardo. So yeah. I feel like there's a bit of... To, I mean, they had to get the rights to make a movie from Zimbardo himself. So you can sort of see uh, where uh, there might be a little bit of a conflict of interest there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, did it include the fact that he was hitting that college age strange? Yes, it did. Oh, really? Yeah, and she was banging. <laughs> um, but yeah, was, uh, so he wasn't a young man when he did this, was he? He wasn't like. No, I think he was in his fifties. Yeah, so she was considerably. Oh uh, no, well. it was the seventies. Then what are we in? Nah, maybe forties. Yeah, forties. I feel like forties is right. But yeah, he wasn't like he wasn't like he was in. You know, late twenties. Oh no! Early 30s. No, no, no. I mean, no. he was he was a Stanford psychology professor, so yeah. you know, he wasn't a young dude. So yeah, good that. for him. But um, yeah, it we'll just uh, this this experiment gets pointed to a lot, and people just spout the original result is that you know people get put into these situations, they just turn evil. It's not their fault, and yeah. actually, that's bullshit. Correct. Even if that wasn't bullshit. Yeah. Surely there's something a little bit to it, though, that everybody was just willing to go along with it because that's what he wanted to do. So Even even if that's the point, even if that is true, this experiment doesn't prove anything because it was so unscientific. Yeah. As an experiment, it's a complete failure. As a snapshot into human behavior, it's, it's fascinating that they would be... Pushed yeah, but it doesn't prove anything. So easily slide into those roles, but yeah, as an experiment, it's a complete other. These are all these are all eighteen and nineteen year old guys. Like, yeah. of course, they're going to tend towards violence. Yeah, you know? and they'll be more than happy to do what the guy who's paying them is asking them to do. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They they thought that they and look, I don't know if this is how it happened, but in the movie that I watched, one of the prisoners kept saying to everyone, "You know, we just got to do this the way they want it because we need to get paid." So, you know, I'm sure that was playing in the backs of their minds as well. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, but as an experiment, a complete and utter failure. 
Yeah, it's dog shit, and it gets way too much credit. Zimbardo gets way too much credit, even mm. though he gets shit on for such an unethical experiment and that he let it go on for so long. Um, even then, he gets too much credit. It was it was crap. There's no scientific value in it, and it made his career. Yeah. So I mean, talking about coasting on something as well. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was fucking fifty years ago now. Yeah. So it's just good PR, I think. Like he knew. Yeah. The, the whole experiment was dog shit, but he was like, if I frame mm. it in the correct manner, yeah. say that I didn't even <laughs> interfere at all, it's like, wow, how bad does that fucking look, you know? Mm. So, Lachlan, you're saying that most sources, including, like, official sources that are supposed to be reputable, like textbooks and universities and stuff, they present yep. this uncritically as, oh, yeah, people just turn into monsters straight away. Yes. Um, and, yes. you know, go with what the guy was trying to prove. Rather than yep. taking a critical look at it and saying, like, maybe there's something to it, but it's hard to draw conclusions from it considering it was so poorly done. They don't say that. The, they just uncritically say, this, this is what it sounds like. Yeah, that's right. The The earliest I saw um, any paper criticizing the results was um, the early 2000s. So, it went for, like, 30 years completely unopposed, basically. Yeah, mm. no, there was no criticism. When I went to university, we obviously covered the Stanford prison experiment, and there was no criticism mm. of it at the time. Um, no, that's right. And it's the same when I learned about it in school as well. The teacher never brought up any of the concerns that I've just listed. She just said, yep, this happened, and it proved that people do horrible things if they're given authority. Yeah, I think mm. it's, a, it's a conclusion that people come to, like they can see an observable phenomena where people do you know they get authority and they it corrupts like absolute power corrupts absolutely like you said yeah um yeah so you've got that Which, conclusion already to a degree i believe but as as proof of that this experiment is useless yeah i know but when, when, you, mm. when you already have that preconceived notion going into it yeah and he pushes it that way frames it that way there's no real reason to question it it's it's, it's observable no that's right that's right yeah in situations and that's another life. psychological phenomenon is called confirmation bias. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. I was going to say where you yeah. you mentally give more weight to things that prove your the mindset that you already have. Yeah, and you tend to be more dismissive of things that go against that. Yeah, and it's so well you established. You just won't look at things critically. Um, no, that's right. So something happens that confirms what you think is true, and you won't think you won't like look into it did this is this what it sounds like is there anything wrong with the method and stuff like that you yep. just go that sounds right i'll just take that exactly as it's presented yep, that's right yeah we'll like, do it. Like exactly said, my yeah i i know absolutely everyone does it and from my experience when i was in university there was no talk about criticism of his method or anything like that it was more just no just and we didn't use it as this like big in-depth case study or anything like that we sort of just covered it in passing but there was no mention of you know any kind of criticism of it, or it was more about you know look at the horrible things people can do yeah that's right which is i think yeah. how they use it all the time now. yeah all right well i learned something today i i must admit i was one of those fools lachlan one of those fools <laughs> who thought it was exactly as it sounded like i didn't know there was something oh like no look fucky going i was as well until i started um researching it for this podcast but up until a couple of days ago I completely believed the outcome of it. Um, and it was just when I started looking into it that I started seeing these sources going, actually, 
here's what was wrong with it. Um, and then, mm. then yeah, I got into other sources. There's a journalist, Ben Blum, who um, interviewed quite a few of the participants, and that's where most of the information about Zimbardo and the warden coaching the guards comes from. Yeah, see, I'd never heard about any of that either, but the hmm. moment that you interfere with something like that, it becomes a failure. As an yeah, as, as soon coaching. as he... As, as soon as Zimbardo put himself into the experiment by being the prison superintendent, immediately he's got a, a fucking horse in the race, you know. Yeah. He's on the side of the guards straight away. So, of course, he's going to push them to, you know. Yeah, to do what he- Control the, the prisoners and yeah, and, and, and do what he wants them to do. That's right. Yeah. And presumably everyone would have went along with it if he if he was going for the opposite thing, where he said to them all, "Yeah, just get along. Everybody be really nice to each other. Don't do Absolutely. anything bad. Don't hurt each other." They would have all just been like, "Yeah, yeah. I should fifteen dollars a day. I'll do that. Yeah, no worries." Yeah, he's the guy paying you. Cordial. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. he's paying them bills. It's a good way to um, do your research, though. Doesn't leave anything <laughs> up to uh, chance. That's how you want to do it. <laughs> Um, can't risk getting the result you don't want. No. Um, ah, that was very interesting. Brad, do you want to um, tell us about something else? When you think of unethical ex- experimentation in World War II, one thing usually comes to mind. The horrible human experimentation carried out by Mad Dog Mengele and the Nazis. Oh, oh, no. Now, I would have loved to have covered them, but as one of my co-hosts so correctly pointed out in our assassinations episode... I can't help but bring up the Japanese when given the chance. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> luckily enough no, for me... the Japanese did worse shit than the Nazis. And quite unluckily for the Chinese... The honorary Aryans were even worse. Well, Mad Dog Mengele was tearing up the streets of Auschwitz. The Japanese were also <laughs> doing their best to book a front row seat at the Nuremberg trial with Unit 731. Oh, oh no! God, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> oh, I know all about Unit 731. I had it in my list of wildcard episode uh, ideas. I don't want to listen to this. Wow. Well, yeah. well, like the Nazis with Joseph Mengele, the Japanese required their own over-the-top madman to get the program started. Surgeon General Shiro Ishii petitioned the government to establish the Army Epidemic Prevention Research Laboratory to potentially combat the progress of the Western world uh, was making in biological and chemical warfare. Those crazy round eyes are going to drop a blight on us, the likes of which we've never seen before, I'm sure, he argued. Double it. Well, Surgeon General Shiro Ishii was right, but it wouldn't come in the form of a few letters filled with anthrax. Fat man and little boy would get the job done just fine. I digress, however. Ishii would start, would get his wish, sorry, in 1932, a full seven years before the war would start. AEPRL, as it was called, it was established in the Japan-occupied Manchuria province of China, more specifically the Zongma Fortress. For four years, Ishii and his kin experimented on Chinese people plucked off the streets, developing new methods to treat and prevent a whole host of chemical and biological threats. As horrible as this human experimentation was, it was nothing compared to what was coming. Oh, Due God, to the Why you do this, proximity to nearby Harbin and the escape of a few prisoners, the secretive nature of Ishii's human experimentation had been leaked. The Japanese government coalesced to the pressure from the natives and shut down the AEPRL. 
In actuality, the Japanese government relocated the group 100 kilometers away in a small village after raising the village and killing everyone and renaming them the Epidemic Prudential Department. Within the EPD, Unit 731 would grow under the leadership from Shiro Ishii and away from the prying eyes, human experimentation could begin in earnest. Though they had been established as a preventative measure initially, they now had the blessing of Emperor Hirohito to begin developing ways to spread biological and chemical weapons. This initially meant testing how agents like anthrax could be used on live subjects. Horrible, no doubt. But Mad Dog Ishii, I think not. Uh, Just a pause for effect here. In 1939, business was about to boom. World War II would provide Unit 731 with a near-unlimited number of test subjects and carte blanche to perform whatever experimentation they deemed necessary in service of the Emperor. Like a murderous butterfly emerging from a psychopathic cocoon, Shiro Ishii (laughs) got to work with Unit 731. The Emperor and his army need to know how effective a weapon is. I think I've got a few thousand Chinese people who can tell us. Unit 731 would round up prisoners on a firing range and shoot them with varying weapons at varying ranges, meticulously noting wound patterns and penetration depths. That didn't only apply to guns, however. They need to establish the best place to stab a man with a bayonet or a sword. So through rigorous trialling, they did, by lashing people to stakes and by running them through with bayonets until they figured out the quickest and most effective way to do so. They dropped stones onto countless people to study crush injuries, fed people only seawater to see how the human body handled it. Ugh. Google, our tech overlords, set out to make set out with the goal to categorize and organize every piece of information in the world and make it more accessible. In much the same way that Unit 731 set out to discover every way to possibly kill a person and apply it to every ally. They x-rayed people's bodies in various places for various times until they died. Of particular interest were the genitals in an attempt to create a new method for sterilization. They exposed people to G-forces to help with the Japanese Air Force by simply spinning them around until the centripetal force killed them. Thank they you. noted that 10 to 15 Gs is the kill zone, oh my God. but children have oh a lower God. tolerance. Ah, Jesus. To help with the Japanese you have to work army. that one out through trial and error, do you? You have to do that one empirically. Kids <laughs> well, can't handle as many G-forces. Good work, Japan. Fuck yeah. Yep. yep. I mean, when you've got an unlimited number <sighs> Say of Say what you subjects, want, but they're thorough. Yeah. Well, not unlimited, but nearly unlimited. Um, China, yeah. To, to help with the Japanese army, they needed to study syphilis, a problem that has plagued armed forces everywhere. But how do you get so many people with syphilis to study them? Sure, you can test whatever cases you stumble across, or you can get efficient. Have those cases forcibly spread the disease to whatever human stock you have lying about. Men, women, children. You get my point. As a consequence of the forced transmission, you're bound to have a I few just, pregnancies. I, 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 I just want to... I don't want to, but I feel like we need to clear this up just in case anyone didn't pick that up. They had... You don't Syphilis infected Japanese soldiers rape the prisoners inside this laboratory. Yes. There you go. Uh, and as a consequence of those forced transmissions, 
uh, you're bound to have a few pregnancies. A joyous time in most people's life, an exceptionally joyous time in Unit 731. Oh, they can no, now run the Brad. weapon and trauma experiments on a new data set and see how no. they affect the mother and unborn child. Jesus. Now, all of this is extremely fucked up, but when I read about the next set of experiments, I knew that Japan got off easy with Hiroshima and Nagasaki. <laughs> all right. And um, you can read all about them on the Wikipedia page, I'm sure. And we'll move on to my segment now. All right. Vivisection. Noun. The practice of performing operations on live animals for the purpose <laughs> of experimentation. I didn't think you could make this worse for me. The practice of performing <laughs> operations on live animals for the purpose of experimentation or scientific research. Unit 731 would infect people with a host of different illnesses and then dissect the individuals while they were alive and without painkillers, as they believed that the painkillers or, or a dead subject would ruin the results of an experiment. When they got bored experimenting on illnesses, they decided to mix things up, literally. Limbs would be amputated to measure blood loss from wounds and then simply to see if they could be grafted onto different body parts, Mr. McGregor style. <laughs> Jesus it's so dark oh my god we didn't give a sounder to Lachlan to play for that one like, no I still wanted to be respectful it isn't my old uh, friend Mr. McGregor <laughs> when that became too tedious they started simply removing organs to see how long people could live missing whatever that organ was so they might start off with the liver see how long they could live with that um, then they might start taking other things and just till they died. But they were cut open, no painkillers. It's just yeah. fucked up. They then restricted blood flow to limbs to study how gangrene pro- progressed and eventually moved on to frostbite, submerging limbs in water until the limb developed a thick layer of ice over the top. They would then strike these with various objects to see the result. And when that got boring, the next logical conclusion is to see what happens when you heat them back up. Unit 731 used flames, molten liquids, and even just the body's own temperature. Every life they burnt through was another sadistic data point for Ishii and his men. In what might be one of the most ironic things I've read in recent time, they even experimented on spreading the plague through China within pla- with plague-infected fleets. <laughs> <laughs> A plan they sought to enact in San Diego, scheduled to go down just five weeks before the war was ended, by Fat Man and Little Boy. With the end of the war, you would believe that like the Nazis, they would at least be tried superficially for their crimes. Well, you'd be wrong. Japan picked the correct target demographic. Never go after the chosen, but no one goes. No one gives a fuck about the Chinese. <sighs> as a part of a secret deal, Japan turned over all research on chemical and biological weapons, as well as all data obtained from human experimentation to the US. Much like Operation Paperclip, many of Japan Japanese physicians were brought into the fold and not a single physician, including Shiro Ishii himself, ever spent a day in prison. In total, experts believe that 400,000 to 600,000 passed through Unit 731. Very kawaii. Oh, my God. Kawaii. 600,000. Yeah. Kawaii is uh, Japanese for scary, just in case anyone's wondering. All right. Thanks, Mr. Weir. Kawaii? No, it's not. Kawaii. Kawaii is cute. Kawaii is scary. Anyway, it's a fine line um, between those two things, I guess. <laughs> it's a fine line between crazy and misunderstood um, in regards to Unit 731. So, 
How yeah. can a person have such disregard for human life? I understand wanting to do things in the name of science, but there's got to be a point where you are having syphilitic soldiers rape women mm. and then experimenting on the fetuses where you say, hang on, maybe it's not worth finding out how quickly a baby drowns. Yeah. You know? Like, like, ah, it's just, it's, it is, I don't like to give credence to the concept of good people and evil people, but that is evil. Yeah. I do like to give credence to it, and I don't (laughs) think you could do that without being (sighs) evil. That's just so fucked up. And you have to, I mean, this is something that the Japanese are obviously teaching their children for a long time before World War II, but that the Japanese people are the only real people and, and everyone else isn't really human. Yeah, exactly. So the Chinese people are like animals. But even then, like, you wouldn't do this. No rational, reasonable person would do this even to an animal. Yeah. No. It, it all so really it's just depends on how just you, you view them. Yeah, so if you see them as animals, well, you wouldn't even do it to an animal. So you must see them as lower than an animal. Like, um, because once you've, you know, dropped a rock on someone for the hundredth time, surely you... You're like, okay, that's enough. But they just they just kept doing it. They just wanted as much data as they could get about everything that they could get that was extremely fucked up. And it started from, I honestly believe it started from an area where they were trying to just, you know, protect themselves from people dropping some sort of biological weapon on them and how they would handle it to, like, shit just escalated. It just got out of hand. Um, because... It was like, okay, well, well, we'll protect ourselves by going on the offense. And then World War II broke out and Japan went fucking batshit crazy. And they were like, all right, let's just find out how to kill everyone in any way possible. And it's like, well, the best way to do that is to kill everyone in any way possible. Um, yeah, as with everything, and just, the Japanese and just got over the top. Uh, They're over the top with everything they do. When I was reading about it, I was like, fuck, this, like, even for me, this is heavy. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do, very, very I'll do Mengele one day, but... This is guys. not the way I want to be ending my weekend, Brad. Anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel I've been reading about it all fucking day. Can I have to share it with this, Brad? Why I'm going to go to work tomorrow with this in my brain. Yeah, well... I just, it's good not thing a, you get I can't to go to work with your brain in your skull, because that, that is not oh, Brad, no, stop. Unit 731. <laughs> Fuck. Right. Um, so, yeah. This... No context facts with Brad. Fallout Boy's song Thanks for the Memories contains no vowels because their record label complained about the length of their song titles. One of their songs features a 19 word <laughs> title Get Busy Living or Get Busy Dying. Do your part to save the scene and stop going to the shows. There you go. Hmm. Interesting. Fun little fact there. A lot, a lot yeah. lighter than what we were just talking about. Yeah, I was hoping to lighten the mood. When we were in high school, I remember, you know, just really being interested in World War Two and, you know, war and things like that in general. And I'd read all about, like, you know, the concentration camps in Germany and Poland and stuff like that and just knowing how fucked up that was, but not it not really affecting me too much because it would seem so, like, abstract and... Just, mm. I was so removed from it, but I remember I bought this book that was called The Rape of Nanking, and it was all about, you know, what the Japanese did to the 
Chinese people in the Nanking province or city, I don't know what it is, but in Nanking. And I was just like, I read that book and I remember in high school just being like, this is so fucked up. Like, I, yeah. I wish I didn't know this happened. I almost wish, mm. like, we could just destroy all evidence of it so nobody ever has to read what the Japanese did to the Chinese ever again so people can just kind of oh, just not be traumatized by it. Like, it's just yeah. horrible. It's just absolutely horrible. Yeah, I think they coast. Like, no one really thinks about how bad Japan were during World mm. War II because they're all like, oh, look at the Nazis, the Nazis, the Nazis. If you go to Germany or anywhere in Europe, they're very much aware of what they did and how horrible it was. And they're like, we yeah. just feel terrible about what we did. There's Holocaust memorials everywhere. You know, we'll never forget. We'll never do this again. It'll never happen. But on, on the other hand, Japan, like, just refuses to acknowledge that they did anything wrong in World War Two. China's uh. like, you need to apologize to us. And they're like, for what? What? Nothing. We didn't do anything that bad. So, it's just like Japan's just unrelenting, like, no. We didn't do anything wrong. It was yep. a war. And like, they're just waiting for another opportunity to do some more shit like that, I'm sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, that's I why they're not allowed to have I, a military. I hadn't heard about this. They would do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are like a worthy adversary. Like, you don't want to fuck with Japan. They just take things next level. They're like that friend who you're like, oh, joking around, you know, play fighting or something. And then he brings like a chainsaw or something. All right, so I'll, I'll go now, and I'm going to talk about a, a very famous experiment as well. So, Lachlan, can you play the uh, first clip? What is there in human nature that allows an individual to act without any restraints whatsoever so that he can act uh, inhumanely, harshly, severely, and in no way limited by feelings of compassion or conscience? All right, so that question was asked by Stanley Milgram, voice Ooh. of Mr. Milgram himself. Good one. And it led to his that question led to his famous psychology experiments. In 1961 at Yale University, Milgram conducted a series of experiments testing how regular people made decisions when their morals conflicted with an instruction from authority. The results were shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Milgram's conclusions sent shockwaves. Oh, through the stop. world of psychology. This is going to be painful. Starting an electrifying debate. Oh, good God. Where many people got amped up over his <laughs> conclusions. Uh, <laughs> Zap! <laughs> I can't, I can't listen to this. <laughs> so what did he do and why did he do it? Well, like every other social psychology experiment, it relied on the p- participant being bamboozled. The volunteer was paid $4 an hour for their time. Mm. In 1961, the federal minimum wage was $1.15. So on one hand, these Whoa. people did pretty well for one hour of work. On the other hand, many of them suffered a crisis mm. of character for the rest of their lives because they were compared to Nazis not unreasonably. <laughs> <laughs> These poor suckers thought they were doing a test on memory, but they were being stitched up. This was the setup. Two volunteers showed up, except only one was an actual volunteer and the other was an actor. The guy running the experiment would say, hey, this is just a scientific study of memory and learning, so there's nothing suspicious going on at all. This would usually calm the volunteer down and ensure he wasn't suspicious of anything at all. (laughs) (laughs) Next, he would tell them to draw slips to determine who would be the teacher and who would be the learner. 
It was rigged so that the volunteer was always the teacher and the actor was always a learner. The three men went into a room and the learner was strapped to a machine that would deliver shocks. The volunteer and the experiment leader would then leave the learner and go to a separate adjacent room where they could communicate with the learner but not see him. The teacher was given a list of word pairs that he read to the learner to memorize. The teacher would then read the first word of each pair and read four possible answers. The learner would press a button to indicate his response. If the answer was correct, they'd move to the next word, but if it was incorrect, the teacher would administer a shock to the learner by pushing down a switch in a series of switches on a long switchboard. Each switch 15 volts higher than the last. The first switch was 15 volts, the last one was 450 volts. The volunteer would hit the next switch in the series for each incorrect response, and there were descriptions underneath the series of of switches. At the low end it said, slight shock, then moderate shock, then strong shock, very strong shock, intense shock, extremely intense shock, danger, severe shock, and the very last one, at 450 volts, simply read, XXX. Oh. <laughs> Pornographic shock. Yes. <laughs> it was a shock to the nuts. <laughs> Just played the Brazzers so music. There, there were many variations of the experiment. In the first one, the volunteer could not hear or see the learner. The only time they received communication was at 300 volts when the learner began banging on the wall. Then, after the 315 volt shock, the learner refused to answer questions. A refusal to answer is the same as a wrong answer. You still have to shock them. (laughs) But Morgan, you're thinking, people wouldn't just shock people and never question it. Well, you're right, and Milgram planned for this. Anytime the volunteer said that they didn't want to go on, the leader of the experiment would give a very specific response. He would first say, please continue. Then if they complained again, he would say, the experiment requires that you continue. Then... It is absolutely essential that you continue. And finally, you have no other choice. You must go on. In the event that the volunteers still wanted to stop after all four responses, the experiment was stopped. Otherwise, the experiment would continue until the teacher had administered all of the shocks, including three at the 450-volt shock level. Oh, three at the... Yeah. One for each So they got him, they got him to they got him to run the whole board and then do two more at the top and then they'd stop it. Yeah. So they were also they also had other responses ready for specific questions. So if the volunteer asked if the learner might suffer permanent physical harm, the experimenter replied, Although the shocks may be painful, there is no permanent tissue damage, so please go on. If the volunteer said that the learner wanted to stop, the experimenter would say whether the learner likes it or not, you must go on until he has learned all the word pairs correctly. So please go on. So what happened? Well, Milgram asked a few people about his experiment before he did it. He asked 14 psych majors at Yale, his colleagues at Yale, and 40 psychiatrists. He asked them, out of 100 teachers, how many do you think would administer the highest voltage shock of 450 volts? The Yale students guessed 1.2 out of 100 teachers. His colleague said, <laughs> yeah, about that. <laughs> and, the psychiatrist, they and the psychiatrist, the 40 psychiatrists, they guessed 0.1%. That no. means they thought one in 1,000 teachers would make it to 450 volts. No. Wow. Jesus Christ. 
Well, the psychiatrists were off by a factor of 650 because in the first <laughs> round of experiments, 65% of the teachers administered the 450-volt shock. Yeah. That was 26 people out of 40. The psychiatrist said that only 3.75 would administer the 300-volt shock, but it turns out that 100% all 40 <laughs> participants oh administered the 300-volt shock. Well... Now, the people doing the shocking weren't happy about it. Milgram noted that many of them were sweating, trembling, stuttering, biting their lips, groaning, digging their fingernails into their skin, and some even had nervous laughing fits. Now, as I said before, everybody was shocked by these results. (laughs) No one could believe it. God damn it. I hate you so much. So Milgram thought, I've got to do this again. I've got to see, you know... If I just, paid, you know, I got to do this experiment again mm. in different ways, see if I can replicate these results. Uh-huh. So um, he he ran a different version of the experiment, and in this in the next version of the experiment, what he did was he had the um, had it so the volunteer could hear the learner shouting from the next room. Oh, so from the tenth, <laughs> once he got a so they're shouting at the start, but once it gets up to the hundred and fifty volt shock, the tenth shock. And onwards, the learner would keep shouting out that they wanted to stop the experiment. After the 20th shock, the 300-volt shock, the learner would refuse to answer any more questions. That is, he would shout out, I refuse to answer any more, get me out of here. And the experimenter would tell the volunteer that this man's non-answer should be taken as an incorrect answer and he should be shocked. At the 345-volt shock, the man stopped yelling out, stopped demanding to be set free. He just went totally silent. Oh, killed him. So, what percentage of people do you guys think went all the way to 450 volts this time? 65% of people went all the way last time. Now, with these constraints, these, you know, added things, what do you think it dropped to? So, things to make it, you would think, make it harder to go all the way. I'm going to say 60%. (laughs) I'm going to say that it was bang on 65 again. (laughs) Okay, no, it, dro- it dropped quite a bit. It went down to oh, 50%, okay. but still. Oh, 50, yeah, still, <laughs> still 50%. Could, fuck it up. They could hear the person shouting from the next room that they wanted to stop the experiment. Yeah, that's outrageous. Like, the mm. person from the next room is saying, like, I don't want to go on anymore. I want to stop this. You can't hold me here. You have no right to hold me. I, ne- I want to get out of here. And they still kept going. Listen. 50% of people went all the way. I'd go all the way, but that, that'd be because I'd be like, <laughs> You know what you signed up for, all right? <laughs> they don't know oh, what they friend. signed up for. <laughs> I'd be like, it's your own fault, buddy. Bang. Plus, I've always just wanted to shock the shit out of someone. See what it's like. <laughs> so, yeah. You're an animal friend. Anyway, Milgram filmed quite a lot of these studies and made a documentary about it. In the documentary, he shows three people doing the version of the experiment I just mentioned. That is... Mm. The one where you can hear them through the wall and the guy complains of heart trouble, he demands to be set free and eventually falls silent. I didn't say that before, actually, but the guy at the start says, I have a heart condition. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> they, they really stack the odds in the favour of people going, yeah, this is probably a bad idea. And the fact that they yeah. got half to do it, that that's insane. Yeah, so I watched this documentary. It's only 45 minutes long. It's, it's quite disturbing to watch one man in particular clearly torn up on the inside, not wanting to continue, but continuing nonetheless. In the documentary, Milgram shows almost the full experiment with this man. We tune in at the 90-volt shock when the learner begins yelling out in pain. The volunteer suggests many times to end the experiment, but he's always convinced to go on. 
At 150 volts, he says, the man wants to be set free. Please continue. The experiment requires that you continue. So he reads the next word. When he gets to the end of the list of words, he turns around in his seat. Obviously, this must be the end of the experiment. The experimenter says, though, go back to the top of the page and start again. He says, no, 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 I'm not going to kill him. And the experimenter says, the experiment requires that you continue. So he goes on. Ah. At 300 volts, when the man refuses to answer, the, uh, the volunteer says, I can't go on. He won't answer anymore. If the learner doesn't answer in a reasonable time, about four or five seconds, consider the answer wrong and follow the same procedure that you have been for wrong answers. The volunteer says, oh, oh man. And then he goes on. Yeah. After the 450 volt shock, he says, that's it, and turns around in his chair. Now continue using the last switch on the board. Please continue. So he shocks him twice more. And the experimenters then end the experiment. You can watch this whole thing. You can watch the guy do it. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen some of that footage and he looks pretty, looks pretty anguished. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you- throughout it, the volunteer, the volunteer keeps asking the experimenter if the man, the learner, is okay. Can we go and check on him? How do you know he's okay? He might be injured in there. Who is responsible if he's not okay? Are you taking full responsibility? So he's obsessed with this other guy taking responsibility because mm. he, he's under the impression that that guy's being hurt and he's worried about yeah. that guy. But he still says, I can hurt this guy as much as I want because this other guy's going to take responsibility. Yeah. So, yes, you're fucked up. Yeah, part and of something. Interestingly, bigger. yeah, interestingly, when protesting about continuing after he's done the whole board, like after he does a 450 volt shock, he thinks it's done <laughs> and the experimenter says, you know, keep going. The guy, the the volunteer says to the experimenter, you're going to keep giving him 450 volt shocks now. You're going to keep oh. giving him. You're. Yeah. Yeah. He says you. Yeah, you completely so it's pretty. It, I guess. Yeah. It's. Yeah. So there's a post experiment interview. Uh, give, like, take, remove yourself from the situation. I guess you will do a lot of things. So. Yeah, well, you're just you're just a cog in the machine. You, you're not. Um, it's it's like our the experiment we were doing, giving up your autonomy. The trolley problem, like it's like pulling a lever versus pushing someone, even though the results the same. Once like you're removed from yeah. the situation, pulling the tr- like pulling the lever. But if you're yeah, if you're just a cog in the machine, you're not up. You're not. It doesn't feel like you are actually doing it. Uh, I don't know. It's. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good point. That's a good comparison. And yeah. uh, anyone who's interested in that can go back and listen to I don't season know what two. episode somewhere in season two of A Bread Is a Bad Person, the trolley problem. Yeah, it's the very first episode. Oh, the very say, first episode, like season two, episode one. Yeah, not that we're doing that. Very good one. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's labelled like I think it's like episode thirteen now or something. You'll find it. You'll get there. Yeah, you'll figure it out. You're small people. The trolley problem, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, there's a post-experiment interview with the man um, where he, where a guy asked the volunteer why he kept going. He explains to set up the experiment and tells the man, um, you know, ask him what his reaction is to it. And the volunteer is clearly relieved when he finds out the learner wasn't being shocked at all. So then in the documentary, Milgram explains as an, as a narrator that people often tell him that all the people that went to 450 volts well they must be sadists they must be sadistic people and he tells these people that's simply not true he says 
From his observations, they were normal people who were conflicted and distressed. They did have compassion and empathy. They knew what they were doing was wrong, but they didn't stop. They didn't want to shock the man, but also they didn't want to disobey authority. So why did they continue? So why do you guys think that the authority was a stronger, you know, they had to do that rather than do the other thing? They had two conflicting ideas in their head, two different desires, and they went with the one that was Because we as a people are conditioned from birth to always follow authority, no matter what. It's in the media, it's in the government, it comes from your parents, it comes from the police, oh everywhere. My God. <laughs> well, it's yeah. true. Like, it, yeah. it's I'm always, serious. you have to listen to authority, and if you don't, that's you'll right. be punished. Like, that's very That's very right, and that's how they message. want us. They want us, they want us placid, and, uh, and what's the other word that I'm looking for? Obedient. Compliant, yeah. Compliant, that's it. Well, I mean, there's a there's a good reason for that as well, though, because when people are very, very young, when you have children, they're not going to be able to make their own decisions and know what's best for them. So, as a general rule, if you tell them, mum knows best, dad knows best, listen to what dad yeah. says. Like, Go- government knows best. For the overwhelming majority of people, the mum and dad do know the best and they have the best interests of the kid at heart. So, mm. that is a good advice to follow. And then when they're kids in school as well it's like yeah well, listen to your teacher listen to your principal they know what's going on but you know at a certain point you have to teach people you have to be individuals and yeah think you, for yourself you don't always have to yeah you don't always have to listen to the authority figure if you can figure it out for yourself but it's i don't yeah. know there's a point I, where that my has wife to and change. i have a two and a half year old son and we always tell him like when he's going to do something stupid and hurt himself and then he does hurt himself. We always say to him, see <laughs> what happened. We weren't telling you not to do that just for fun. We weren't telling you, we were telling you not to do that because we knew that you would hurt yourself. So I wonder whether that is, I wonder whether, whether us telling him why we're telling him those things is more internalizing obedience to authority or less. Maybe, maybe if, I don't know, I, I would hope that because we're explaining why we told him not to do those things, that would help him in future, in his life, think more critically about why he's yeah, being told. Yeah, he can figure it out for things. himself, that probably is true. Well, yeah, a lot of the time I'll just let him fall and I'll go, see, told you you'd fall. I think the only way to sort it out is to get a hundred <laughs> children, burn their hands on something <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> just see see how the results fall you know beat 50 of them and 50 <laughs> of them just let go okay. oh. um yeah but there there is a certain point as people get older and become adults and start being able to think for themselves and make their own decision that it doesn't really you know you've still got all the rules you still got the authority figures but to an extent you can choose which rules to follow and which authority figures yeah. to listen to but if you've been told your whole life throughout your childhood at home and at school, like the person who's in charge of you always knows better than you and you should always listen to them and always do what they say, then a lot of people are just going to go, well, that's the way I've been living my yep. life so far and I'm not going to ch- like change that. So, And a lot of people definitely yeah. do. And I think this recent uh, pandemic, the Pangolin Panic, has really <laughs> uh, shown that more than anything is that people will just blindly listen to what the authorities tell them. Not that I'm saying coronavirus isn't real, but 
just the whole lockdown thing and everyone's just straight away, yep, we're staying inside and we're going to report our neighbours who go outside and all that sort of thing. It's just um, it's it's just blind obedience. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's just that it's the belief that the people who have authority over you and that are in a position of power at the experts, like they know more than you. Yes. They have your best interests yeah. at heart and you should always listen to them. Whereas it's like- which is you know, not they, true. They might know more than us, but you, why would we trust their always trust their intentions that they got our oh. best interests at heart? Like we know intelligence agencies and militaries and you know world organizations and stuff. They have their own incentives. They have their own things that they want to achieve, and they'll tell us yeah. this is what we want you to do. But they won't frame it as we would like you to do this. They'll frame it as this is what is yeah, best for you, so you should do it. Yeah, yeah, or you have to do it. You will get a $1,652 fine if you don't do it. True. <laughs> you have to do it, but even still, you have to do it because it's, it's for in your, your own good. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just the, the idea that other groups don't have any other incentives other than what's best for, you know, us as regular people. Mm. Like they only care about us and nothing else. They don't have their own self interest to worry about, yeah. or, you know, their own funding and stuff. So it's. But the sort of thing, if if you bring something like that up or if you question something like that, people are like, oh, you're not listening to the experts. You know, the experts know what's best and stuff. And this, like, as you were saying with the pangolin panic, this whole, like, mask yeah. thing has been, like, uh, you know, to, I can't think of a better phrase here, but the mask has kind of dropped a little bit there as well. But at the start, <laughs> they're saying, don't wear these masks. They don't work. At the start, they're saying, don't wear these masks. They don't work. Yeah. Our healthcare workers need them. It's like, well, if they don't work, our healthcare workers don't need mm. them because they don't work. Yeah, that's right. And then yeah. a few months later, a couple of months later, they're saying, oh, you can't go out in California unless you wear a mask. You can't go on yeah. public transport in Philadelphia if you don't wear a mask. Like, yeah, do they work the or supply, do they not? Yeah, the supply caught up. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's, that's the, the thing. thing. There was like, there was a shortage at the start. So, they were saying, instead of saying, we need them, so don't use them, they said, they don't work. So, don't so use them. Yeah. 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 Like, they clearly work. We should clearly be wearing them. But, like, they clearly work. Yeah, we but clearly we just should don't be have enough. Them, but they so, said at the start, don't wear them. Yeah, because they don't work. Yeah, well, they're <laughs> saying what they want us to do, not what's actually true, which is... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Obey. I think, I think that was a bit the, off... Uh, yeah. That I, was a bit off topic, but... Yeah, we're going to get so too far in the... In, wait, I was just about to say, we're going to get too far in the reads with this... Um, if yeah, we keep talking okay. about, so I'll, I'll jump back. People's authority, I'll jump back to it. the government, because people trust the government, and they shouldn't. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna explode. Milgram started doing other versions, which I was explaining before, and one of those versions was him thinking maybe this is a Yale thing. There's the prestige around Yale. You know, these guys are smart; they know what they're doing. Who am yeah. I to tell a professor that I'm not going to do what he says? So he decided to do a similar experiment at a random research institute in a random side street of the city. So it was, didn't have any prestige attached to it. There was not a professor or, you know, it was just some guy in some building, in some research some institute. Some guy in a lab coat, and yeah. Yeah, there was no significant drop in obedience, basically the same results. Mm. So that wasn't true. Yeah. Now, in a later version, he did the... Um, he did the experiment with the person, the learner, in the exact same room as the other person. So, they could actually see them now <laughs> as well. It wasn't they could hear them over the phone. They could still see They could see the person being shocked. And the actor, you know, had to, like, jump up and be shocked and, you know, yeah. 
do that, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, in this uh, experiment, still 40% of people went all the way to the end. Jesus oh. Christ. When they could actually see the person. Yeah, that, that's and next level. So, so Milgram found, you know, his conclusion was that the biggest factor that would lower obedience was not proximity to the learner and feedback from mm. the learner, um, you know, like being in the next room and being able to hear them or being able to see them. The thing was actually proximity to the authority figure. So, in a version where the experimenter was not in the same room, but instead speaking to the volunteer over the phone, our obedience fell to 20%. And oh. then, even in that, the volunteer would often try to fool the experimenter. They would say that they're giving the shocks, but not actually giving the shocks, because there was yeah. no way to tell. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So, isn't that interesting that, you know, people know that it's wrong- and they don't oh. want to disobey the authority figure, but if the authority figure's not in the room actually being able to tell what they're doing, they they feel a little bit, like, more able to yeah. um, it's disobey like, them. It's like having a job. When your boss is around, you work harder. When they're not, you feel like you can get away with yeah. it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Yeah. Like, it's human behaviour. Just trying to sneak one past the man. <laughs> okay, so... I wanted to I wanted to finish this by first saying that I don't want to shame people for not uh, you know for obeying authority and bending to pressure because as Milgram showed more than half the people would do something like this so there's no point berating people for it I think this is more than a half the people in response <laughs> it's a it's a normal human response unfortunately so I know some people will blindly mm. obey authority figures and most of the time that's probably actually the smart move. Because you protect yourself and you keep the authority figure happy. You put your head down and you don't make waves. You don't make yourself a target. But occasionally that's not the correct decision and you'll know it. You'll be able to feel it. You know when something bad is happening and you're not comfortable with it. We've all been in situations like that. Whether you're asked to violate your conscience and do something that you do not feel comfortable doing, then don't do it. No matter who's asking, no matter what the stakes are, there is never a good reason to do a bad thing. And there is no special immunity from immor- immorality that any authority figure has. So just cross your arms and say no. I'll end this with two clips from the same guy in that documentary. The first is from when he refused to continue the experiment, and I chose him because I liked the way he handled it. He simply said, I refused to and didn't back down. The second is from the post-experiment interview when he explains why he stopped. So try to ignore the fact that the guy sounds exactly like Bill Murray. Okay. 150 volts. Oh. Experimenter, that's all. Get me out of here. He's I said I had trouble. My heart's starting to bother me now. Get me out of here, please. My heart's starting to bother me. I refuse to go on. Let me out. Uh, continue, teacher, please. Go on. <clears throat> the next word is sad. Well, going on if he refuses to do it. The experiment requires that you go on, teacher. If he refuses, I won't. Whether the learner likes it or not, we must go on until he's learned all the word Take the check back. I'm not going to hurt the guy. No, the check's not the issue. Uh, It's absolutely essential that you continue. Well, he don't want to. I refuse to. Well, you have no other choice. You must go on. Yes, I have a choice. That is, if you don't continue, uh, we're going to have to discontinue the uh, experiment. We'll have to. He says cut it out. After all, he knows what he can stand. Uh, the main purpose of the experiment was to see how you would react to Mr. Williams' orders. 
whether you would uh, take them or defy his authority or what? I defied it. You certainly did. Why didn't you go on? Yeah, hell with him. Who the hell is he? <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Good ashtray right over there. Um, He's not telling it. In my mind, I was hurting that guy. If I have to continue to hurt another human being, I don't believe in it. No matter what he had said. No matter what who said. Mr. Williams. The hell with him, Mr. Williams or anybody else. Nice. So that's ab- absolutely perfect. The Milgram experiment is often used to talk about the dark side of regular human behavior. But I'm telling you all, don't take the black pill. It's not all that bad. We can all take something good out of this experiment. We can look at it and say, I'm going to be like that Bill Murray sounding guy. So take his example. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, that was pretty baller. Right. And I think that leads us very nicely into Morgan's Would You Rather. Morgan. 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 Morgan's Would You Rather. All right, so because I've talked about the Milgram Shocktacular, as I like to call oh, it, God. Um, I'm going to ask you guys if you would rather be executed by the electric chair Ooh. or by hanging. Oh, That's a See, good one. See, I didn't one. say firing squad or guillotine or gas mm. chamber or lethal injection because those are the cheap ones. They're the easy way out. I'm talking about hanging, electrocution. <laughs> See, hanging, if they do it right, it snaps your neck and you die instantly. But if they do it wrong, you're hanging there for a long time, choking to death. Just hanging out. Yeah, and then electric chair's not instant either. Yeah. Neither's a good way to die. <laughs> in, the gr- in the grand scheme of things, though, they're actually probably not that bad either. Uh, yeah, either, but... Uh, like, you die from, what... A- cancer or you know you get shot and you bleed out <laughs> like there's plenty of bad ways to die car accident like uh, i'm gonna go i'm gonna go i'm gonna go hanging and i'm just gonna hope that they do it right and my uh ne- neck snaps immediately actually yeah. if they do it yeah. if they do it too well um it can actually pop the head off the body <laughs> that, that used to happen in uh france apparently that they tie the noose too too like Perfectly, and <laughs> the head would just pop straight off that bad boy. I want that to wow. happen to me. So you're you're going hanging, and you hanging. you want to be well hung. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like Jason gotcha. Segel. What about you, Brad? I'm gonna ride that fucking lightning bitch. Oh, Bradley. <laughs> There's only one way to go out there. You gotta ride the fucking lightning. You gotta sizzle. You really? Gotta, you gotta fucking they. People have got to smell you once you've left this earthly coin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but it's a very how long visual does it take thing, to yeah. die from the electric chair? Right, we've all seen the it's green mile. We all know it could go down poorly, but still. <laughs> I think he had take the last laugh because boy. they had to fucking clean that place out and it stunk like yeah. a cooked person for the rest of its time. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Mm. <laughs> Brad, with your hair at the moment, your hair's like two foot long is going to like be standing up all over the oh, place. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be a fucking like whirlwind in Merv style, is that you Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you, that's Mox? how it works. What way yeah. are you going? I know. 
I know a lot about electricity. I'm pretty sure that's how I, I will definitely be um, hanged. And I think, in fact, yeah. hanging would probably be my more preferred method of um, execution above all the others. Really? Except for firing squad. Oh, yeah. Firing Ooh. squad for sure. But you take hanging over lethal injection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Why? Something fun to do. When you <laughs> going out. Okay. Right, oh, yeah, right out of bed. That's lame. <laughs> Get lying down, get put down like a dog. I'm not a dog. Fucking shoot me like a man. <laughs> while we're, while like we're talking man. about lethal injection, actually, and I um, this isn't really relevant to anything, but just it's just triggered something in my memory. Go on. <laughs> I have this vivid memory in my mind of seeing Timothy McVeigh executed on television by a lethal injection. I it's it's stuck in my brain. That I Mandela saw, effect. I yeah. saw it happen, but I'm sure that didn't happen. I'm sure they didn't televise him being executed. There's no way they would have done that, right? Mm. Well, I, I haven't seen it. I don't have that memory. Um, okay, I don't. Timothy I, McVeigh. Anyone who doesn't know, that's the the bomber, um, Oklahoma City. That's it. Sorry. Yeah, Oklahoma yep. City. Yeah, sorry. it was uh, retaliation for Waco. Which yeah. is fair, cause and Ruby Rich. David Koresh did nothing wrong. Yeah. Um, it's fair that he blew up a kindergarten in a state <laughs> workers' building. What a fucking idiot! If you want to learn more about Waco and uh, a little bit about the Oklahoma City bombing, you can listen to season three, episode one, Cults, Cults. which is that's, that's one of our most person. well listened to episodes. I think it's in our top five. I think it's Very top good three, actually. Yeah. I, I, think I spoke we... to the people from Heaven's Gate, the, the two surviving members of Heaven's Gate, so that was uh-huh. pretty exciting. Yeah, and then the very right. next episode, we broke news. Yep. And no 20, one, no one seems to give a fuck about it. I don't know why. I've tried to get it. Go listen to Colts. Go listen to Colts. What an episode yeah. that was. Yeah. All right, Brad, do you want to um, smash out your power rankings? Yeah, let's do it. Brad, power rankings. Ah, boys. Let's just get this done. Top five things isn't I love be, about Japan. This isn't going to be good. Ah, oh, okay. That's <laughs> yeah. all right, then. I'm continuing my weeb theme here, uh, but uh, on the other, at the, the opposite end of the spectrum here, so no, you know, vivisections or anything like that. All the good stuff. All the good stuff. All right, so uh, starting at five, we can wait number one. Number one being the thing I love the most about Japan. All right? So. The hatred of China. Yeah. Now, you, this is, it's funny that you were talking about pirates at the start of the episode, Lockwood. Oh. Um, because number five is ninjas. And anyone who says the pirates <laughs> are cooler than ninjas can suck uh, my hairy nutsack. Fucked, Brad. I wrote a pirates presentation about this in year fucking nine. I got an A motherfucking plus. <laughs> and I suck at public speaking. Ninjas are so fucking cool that they drag my grade up. Number four, rolling on in. Number four, Total War Shogun Games. Now, (laughs) (laughs) Creative Assembly might not be a Japanese company, but Sega, who brought them out, is a total. The Total War Shogun Games fucking rule, and if you don't agree with me, you can fucking fight me. Simple as that. They're awesome. Shogun style. Yeah. Number three, Samurai. What is better than riding around with the boys, wreaking havoc on your enemies in service of your daimyo? <laughs> Nothing. That's what. Anyone who thinks the Japanese feudal system 
wasn't the tits and was worse than the European feudal system can take it up with me and my boy <laughs> Nobunaga. All right? <laughs> okay. Number two, George Miller. Whether you know him as what? Filthy Frank, Pink Guy, or Joji, this half Japanese, oh, half Australian is an absolute legend. Run by Joji is already the best song of 2020, possibly the decade. <laughs> Don't at me, you Korean BTS cunts who are upset about his edgy humor. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's right. They're uh, they're trying to cancel Joji, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They can get fucked. Yeah. All right. And number one, the women. <laughs> if yellow oh. fever were a real thing, I'd be fucking terminal. <laughs> <laughs> Just check out my Japanese game show BPR for all the evidence you'll ever need. Yeah, I was waiting for it. There it is. Go listen to uh, our episode on. Japanese game shows. I think yeah. this is the most amount of uh, yeah, most amount of, of plugs for previous episodes that we've done, which yeah. is good. You should go listen to all of them. They are all fantastic. Mm. We've got a very deep back catalogue. We've got we've done we episodes go. on a lot of stuff. I'm sure you'll be interested yeah. in all of it because it's all excellent. Mm. Well, most of them. Or as Brad there's... would say, kawaii. There's <laughs> definitely a couple of stinkers in there, but uh, <laughs> most of them are good. We, we keep it real, and that's what matters. That's right. We're yeah. genuine. We're uh, we're grassroots. We're doing this by ourselves. We don't have some large mm. production team behind us. So you know, give us a break. All right. Fuck. Get off <laughs> our back. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that'll do. I think. Uh, unless you guys have anything you'd like to add about unethical experiments uh just be suspicious of everything and if anybody yeah let's do it let's bring back final thoughts considering we're talking about other seasons and stuff at the moment season one <laughs> final <laughs> thoughts yeah. bring back final yeah. thoughts yeah just you know don't do anything that violates your conscience and i think actually a good tip is that if anybody asks you to do something and you feel a lot of pressure on you at the moment just say to them i need a minute to think about this and then just you know, mm. take your time with it. And then if they're pressuring you during that minute, like if you're silent for 10 seconds and they're like, come on, come on, then, you know, you can be like, hey, don't pressure me. Don't rush me. And it gives you time to think about it. And it gives them the expectation that, okay, maybe they're not going to go along with this. And then, you know, you can say, no, I'm not going to do that. Just be firm. Don't do anything. That's to good advice. Your it's not That's good it. advice. Okay. Well, what Morg said, and also if you're crushing people's heads with rocks, you probably realize <sighs> that it's wrong. So, God. you know, don't do that. Or just do it a few times yeah. and stop. Yeah, basically. Once you've got the information. Extrapolate you need, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, extrapolate. Exactly. You don't need a huge sample size. Well, like four to 600,000. Follow, <laughs> following on from that, uh, just never succumb to authority. <laughs> and don't violate the nap because that's bad. <laughs> That's what uh, that's what everyone in all of these stories have done. They've succumbed to authority, and they have violated the non-aggression pact. So, <laughs> uh, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a bad thing to do. Just, um, you know, that's it. Chill the fuck out. Good one, Lachlan. Very well said. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking idiot. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll... <laughs> catch you next week where we talk about hopefully nothing as atrocious as what we've talked about today our favourite recipes (laughs) 
Yeah, but we have to tell a story about uh, where we like to eat it and how our family likes it so much before we actually get to the recipe. Oh, don't you hate that? It's oh the worst, God. isn't it? You look up a recipe online and it's like you, you have just to scroll wanna, through it, literally yeah. like 400 words. You just some... want the recipe oh, and they tell a whole story. Then. Oh, you know, I woke up one full morning and I just had a real craving for something sweet. So my husband and I took the kids down to the park and then 15 pages oh, yeah. later, it's a recipe for waffles. <laughs> 